a podcast about amazing people from an incredible state. Amazing Arizonans with Mike Broomhead. I moved to Arizona in 1995 because I wanted to be a cowboy, and I found out you could not be a cowboy in Arizona and not go to Mr. Lucky's. And if you don't know Mr. Lucky's, you're going to learn a lot because J. David Sloan is here, the owner and operator of that place. Man, it is so good to sit down with you. It's great to be here, Mike. Thanks for asking me. <laughs> I have to tell you, um, you, you're, that place meant so much to me. I felt like I grew up in that place. Yeah. And it's hard to describe to people that were never there. But that was just a magic place, wasn't it? Oh, it was one of the most magical places. Uh, when I first moved to Nashville in 1968, I was 26. And when I got there and started working with everybody on the road and everything, that's all everybody could talk about was this club in Phoenix called Mr. Lucky's. I mean, they just built it up like it was like the... Of course, all the guys, all they could talk about was, man, wait till you see all the beautiful women. They weren't lying. That's what they were talking (laughs) about, how Phoenix had all these beautiful women. They loved the club because it had the two floors, you know, and they they talked about the rock and roll downstairs and the upstairs country. But, yeah, I was uh, really excited to step in the place the first time after I had moved here. I quit the business and moved out here because of the company I went to work for down in Nashville. We built apartment complexes, and I was framing, and they wanted me to move to Phoenix. We were building building apartments. Uh, we built one at Cactus and I-17, one at, uh, at Broadway and Priest. And uh, when I got out here, well, Waylon had been telling them, Waylon Jennings. Yeah. Well, because I'd, I'd worked, he'd produced my first album, and we became real good friends, and we did a lot of road work together and overseas and everything. So he knew, and he was real close friends with Bob Sikora. Well, people don't know that Waylon Jennings kind of got his start up in Prescott, correct? He spent well, a lot of time in Whiskey Row in Prescott, didn't he? I I don't I don't remember him him being up in on Whiskey Row. I'm sure he did because he was you know he was he came here from Lubbock yeah. where he was raised, and I I heard one of the places he played was a Handlebar J, which of was way out in the desert. You had to take a dirt road to get to it, and it was called Wild Bills. And he worked there, and then he went to work at at JD's in the River Bottom. They're on Scottsdale Road. Yeah. And near the college. And that's where he got discovered by Bobby Bear. Bobby Bear came there to do a uh, personal appearance. He saw Waylon. He went back and he was recording for R.J. Victor. And he told Chet, he said, You need Chet Atkins. Yeah. You need to go out to Phoenix and see this guy. And so Chet did and signed him. And it's funny because he was. You worked with him for a long time, but he really became a superstar after that. That's oh, yeah. He became the superstar yes. was after those days here in Arizona. Right. He did. So Mr. Lucky's was, the for when I got in there, was in the mid-90s. So you'd already had it for a while. You yeah. had added the bull riding. Yeah. So there was live bull riding on Wednesday night was practice night. Friday night was the open bull riding or the guys who were riding professional. Uh-huh. And then the amateurs, the novice night was on Saturday. Saturday night, yeah. And there wasn't a night that I was in there that it was not packed to the gills because great music, 
that great dance floor, and then that bull riding was always such a great attraction at the same time. Yes, I I would have never dreamed it would have been that popular, but uh, a guy by the name of Ron Blades. Yeah. Do you remember Ron? Of course. We still keep in touch. Do you? Yeah. I do, too. I, I talked to him here oh, a few months back, but um, he uh, he came and presented the idea to me, and I thought, what? you got to be nuts, you know, and... And he said, no, really. And, and of course, he he gave me some examples, you know, Billy Bob's sure. down in Texas. And so I thought, well, what the heck? I, I said, where am I going to put it? And he said, well, we just kind of looked around. We put it there in the east side of the building, built an arena there in the parking lot. And it it, it worked great. For We had it in there about 12 years. And then uh, it kind of. Went, you know, they didn't draw like it used to. The caliber of bull riders that were in there, because I was such a fan before I ever got on a bull in my life. I was such a fan. I remember seeing some of the greatest names in bull riding lined up to ride when they were in town. Yeah. There's a, a guy, I don't know if you follow bull riding or not, but there's a guy that's a two-time or a three-time world champion in the PBR. His name is Adriano Marias. At the time, yeah. was the greatest bull rider in the world. He didn't get in. One night, he was too late. They turned yeah. him out. I mean, they could, they didn't have any openings for him. Yeah. There was a time when it was one of the – it was like a professional rodeo every Friday night. And yeah. so it was such a great place that had such a great vibe inside. But your connection to Nashville and some of the country acts that were there also yeah. made all the difference because you're a great musician. But you brought in some of the acts that were amazing. Yes, we were very lucky to get some of those people. Um uh, Gosh, the list goes on and on. It, it took me a long time to name them all. I was it, there one. I was there announcing the bull ride one night, and um, I don't know if I should tell this story or not, or if you're going to remember it the same way. I hope you remember it the same way. Correct me, but I was announcing the bull ride, and so I wasn't inside to see the act play. And uh, I was told, hey, make sure you tell everybody that Jay David's going to be back on stage because apparently this act didn't do very well on stage. So make sure you tell them that the band will be back. It won't be the that act will not be back on after the next round of bull riding. And uh, it was the Dixie Chicks. Dixie Chicks. Do you remember yeah. that? Is that yes. how you remember that story? Yes. Yeah. And they ended up becoming their music is amazing. Yes. But they were just working it out because Natalie Maines had just joined the band. Yeah. But they were coming through Phoenix and they played Mr. Lucky's. Yeah. We were the uh, we were so lucky at Mr. Lucky's. Uh, it was such a popular place for all the artists and all the record labels. They felt like Lucky's was a good spot to present their artists. We had Alabama. Yeah. They, they, uh, um, the manager came to me one night. We got a, a group coming in a couple of weeks. This was before I bought it. Says called Alabama. Never heard of them. Brand new act, you know. Clint Black was another one. Alabama. See the Dixie Chicks. Steve Warner. Um, oh gosh, who else? Um, of course, you know we had Keith Urban. Yep. And that video, the Keith Urban video, Who Wouldn't Want to Be Me, Yeah, the, that's all filmed inside of Mr. Lucky's. Inside, when they're right. not on the road in the bus, it's filmed inside Mr. Lucky's. Right. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. amazing. So we were, we were blessed in many ways for these people. And he wanted to come there because he heard so much about it. And uh, he had heard from Matt Rawlings, who used to be our keyboard player in the band. And Matt was his first producer record producer, and Matt was living in Nashville, and he had heard about Mr. Lucky, so... 
It's yeah. it's funny because um, all of them become household names. Keith Urban, you know. Yeah. But when he was already a superstar when he filmed that video. But oh, for yeah. those names you said, Alabama and others, because you were so connected in the industry and worked in it for so long, when you would see people get up on stage, did you ever see them and just know this is a superstar? This one's going to be great. Oh, yeah. Well, Alabama for sure. And uh, the Dixie Chicks, they had a they had a, a thing going, you know, yeah. with their vocals. And, um, oh, gosh. I'm trying to think about it. How was Clint Black? He was good. He was good. He he performed for a little while. And then he went on over to Tuley's and performed. Performed over there, too. Yeah, yeah. When you look when you look back on those days, um what motivate what motivated you then? I mean, you were such you you could have taken Western Bread, your band, and probably traveled and done some other things. What made you want to be just stay home? Well, like I said, I spent 4 years on the road when I before I moved out here. Yeah. And I you know, I had a good experience of what the road is really like. It's not all that much fun, you know. Uh, it's the 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 best part about the whole thing is playing to a new audience. That's the best part about being on the road. But that traveling and in a different hotel room every night and all that, you know. So I I kind of had my fill of that, and I actually when I was I'd always told myself when I was uh, I started playing when I was real young, and I always had the the number 30, if if I didn't make the big time, whatever that is, you know, by the time I was 30, I was going to quit. And that's what I did. I quit when I turned 30 down there and went to work for this construction firm. And so, anyway, what was I going to say, though? But the music, uh, you just love the music. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I still do. And you, yeah. you do you still write music? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you still record your own music? Uh, well, I tell you what. Recently, I wrote a, I wrote a song about my mom. Her name was Betty Ann, and it's all about growing up on the farm. She had seven children. Wow! And Ray heard it, and uh, from Ray Herndon. Ray Herndon. He heard the song, and he thought it was good enough to record. So he got all the play- players together, and. For a surprise, my 80th birthday, they took me into um, Auto Studio, uh, and uh, we recorded it. It turned out pretty good. When yeah. you is it, is it is it not surprising to you? But do you ever look back now and think about those days? Because Ray Herndon's another person that is oh, yeah. so nationally and internationally known in the music industry right that people may not recognize the name ray herndon or the herndon brothers but insiders in the music industry definitely do oh yeah same with you that Um, that what j david sloan is not necessarily clint black in the minds of people in country music unless you're in the industry because clint black would definitely remember who you are and say that's somebody that is big in this industry uh right ray for sure uh, he's, you know, d- has done all that work with Lyle Lovett. Yeah. Which we discovered in 1983 over in Luxembourg. Yeah. Where we found him. And, uh, and then when Lyle started hitting, he put his band together. He wanted Ray to be the lead guitar player. Billy Williams, who hired me to go to work at Mr. Lucky's, he did all of his 
he produced all of his records. Didn't Ray write a bunch of really well-known songs, a bunch of hit songs? Uh, or have a few? I, I'm not... I'm, he wrote one for sure in particular uh, was uh, Me and You, that Kenny Chesney. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote it with another um, songwriter down there in Nashville. The two of them wrote it. When you look, when you look at how the Arizona's changed, what year did you come here permanently? When did you come here to stay? Seventy-two. Okay, so I came in ninety-five. There's a lot of changes between seventy-two and ninety-five. Oh yeah. What do you think now that you've seen these changes? Are they good? Do you like the changes you've seen? I don't like the changes in country music. Oh, I don't either. You know. Yeah. I I don't like some of it is still good, and there's some really uh, w- very talented young guys and, and ladies that are very good. But when they get into this more of the hip hop kind of yeah. country, I'm sorry. I guess I'm old school. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there is a saying that says you can't sing pop music with a country accent and <laughs> southern accent and call yourself a country star. Right? It, it, do you do you agree with that? I agree with that. Yeah, I, there's yeah. there's something I'm I can't play any instrument, so I'm jealous of you that you can play so well. Yeah. Um, but I love music as much as anybody, and I I listen to uh, when I moved here in '95. Mark Chestnut was such a big star. Yeah, and I had a 90 minute cassette tape of Mark Chestnut music, and I listened all the way from Southwest Florida on the drive to Arizona. That's the only thing I listened to was that tape. That's how much I love that era of music. And I don't know if it's because I grew up in that era or if it's just because it's that good, or maybe it's both. Yeah. Did you uh, happen to make it when we had him at Lucky's? No. Mark Chestnut? Oh, you didn't? No, when was that? Because I think it was before I was here. It was, I think it was around, thinking about it, like 93 or 94. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, and it's, so it's it's interesting to see all these people that went on to be big stars, but their connections to that place. And and one of the things that I I, I, I got to tell you that has meant so much to me is getting to know you is that you're you're the most humble person I've I've met in just about any industry, and yet you are truly considered a star in the business. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, Mike. you know, well, you no. know, anybody. <laughs> I don't listen, think so. In our, you know, in our, in our, in our time, when we were, when I was at that age, I was 27 when I moved here. That was a place everybody had to go was Mr. Lucky's, and everybody knew J. David Sloan and Western Bread, and everybody would wait for those times in the, at night when you would play certain songs, especially when you get on that fiddle and play, yeah. and everybody talked about how great you were, but it was also people in the industry that were talking about you and how great you were, but you were just like everybody else when it was you, – you never, you never had your name on the door. Yeah, well, I, I don't really – I don't consider myself – seriously – Sorry, I've just been very blessed to get to play music all with, all the times that I've pl- been able to do it, and uh, I'm just I still feel very blessed that at my age I can still do it. There um, are people that I consider in that generation to be on the Mount Rushmore of country music, and one of the people that I think is on that Mount Rushmore is Waylon Jennings. Oh yeah, and I've never I never saw him in concert. And I, never oh, yeah. got, and I never got to meet him. And it's oh. one of the biggest disappointments of my life because I love his music so much. What was it like being so close to him and watching him perform? Well, he he was just one of the – I always thought he was very humble, you know, and just one of the greatest guys you'd ever want to meet. Very willing to help anybody he could do no matter what. I mean – 
He, I, when I bought the club, I bought it in '88. I'd I'd been here. Uh, I went to work there in '72. In '87, he called me and said, "You need to move back down here because uh, we got a bunch." He said, "I'm in touch with a bunch of great songwriters. They got a lot of great material." He said, "Why don't you come back down here?" He said, "I think it'll do you some good." So he talked me into it. So I picked up my family. We moved back down there for a year. And when I left, Bob Sakura sold Mr. Lucky's. And he called me a year later and goes, I, you need to come back here <laughs> to Arizona because the guys haven't paid me any money. And it's not going to make it unless you come back here. And I, and I told him, I said, Bob, I worked for you all those years. I don't have any money. Yeah, I don't have any money. I just made a living. Yeah. He said, you don't have to have it. He said, we'll just, we'll agree on a price. You can make payments for 20 years. And and he says, I know it'll come back if you just come back. And, of course, I presented this to my kids, Jalen and, and my daughters and Shanda and Brandy. And, and uh, they... Uh, they all wanted to come back. They were missing their friends, and and so we moved back and I took it over, and I ran it for sixteen years. And and uh, anyway, it uh, it was a blessing to come back. And, and by the way, I paid him off in four years. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> I re- I remember the line out the door, so I would imagine you had no yeah. trouble paying that back. Do yeah. you miss it? Do I miss Mister Lucky? Yeah. Oh yeah. I do. I don't miss the business end of it, because uh, when I worked there just as an employee, uh, just doing the music on stage, it was a lot more fun than than what it was when I owned it. Yeah, yeah but you, um, and for the people that don't know, um, it was such an iconic place that the sign outside was named a landmark in Phoenix. That yeah, land, it is. It is a Phoenix landmark. Yeah, it is. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. So you caught lightning. Now, did you catch that lightning in a bottle, or was it like that before, and you just carried on? It, what do you mean? It be. It was just such an iconic place that it was. Was it all? Did it already have that reputation when you took it over? Well, it already had a reputation of being such a great place because Bob was booking. He had a major country act every Wednesday night. And he didn't even advertise. Everybody knew you're going to see a great act. And they saw everybody you can think of. George Jones, Loretta Lynn. No name way. Them, really? Just name them all. Yeah, he 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 had a main act, country act, uh, every Wednesday night. And when I went to work there in 72, it was like that. Every Wednesday night we had, I mean, a, a major act. And um, that, so it was, it was doing very well long before I even went to work there. You know. So what people may not know is every Friday night was a fish fry, mm-hmm. and you did a contest, a music contest for the kids to get up on stage and sing. Uh-huh. And for anybody that watched American Idol when it was superstars on American Idol, it was the TV show people watched. Jordan yeah. Sparks got her start. On Friday nights at Mr. Lucky's. At the fish fry. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. She gave all the kids would, and we'd have kids two, three years old, get up and sing ABCs, and they could perform until they were 14. 
And most of them would bring in a cassette or a, you know, a little cassette or an 8-track or, yep. you know, whatever they had at the time. And they would sing along. They'd pick a song and they'd sing along to it. Yeah. Well, Jordan came in one night, and I and I was filling out uh, all my information about what they're going to sing and everything, getting their tapes ready. Jalen would play, you know, their tapes for them. And they had two minutes to perform because we had so many kids. We'd have 30, 40 kids. And, uh, and I only had like an hour to do it. The band, band we would start playing like at uh, 7 o'clock. And at 8 o'clock, they'd take a break and go back in the in the band room and and I'd for an hour I'd do the kids and anyway Jordan came in one night and I said did you bring a tape because I had no idea yeah. I didn't know who she was or anything and she's 12 years old and uh, she said no I'm just going to sing acapella I said okay what are you going to sing she said you ain't nothing but a hound dog you know Elvis Presley she got on stage and I mean not even finished the first verse of that song, the people were on their feet going nuts. Just crazy. Of course, needless to say, she won the contest that night. And then what I did, I would run an eight-week contest, and I'd pick three winners. And at the ninth week, those three winners from each week could come back and compete for more money. I'd give money and little trophies away. And at the contest, I'd, or when I had the finals, I'd It'd be more money and bigger trophies, yeah. and uh, so she she couldn't compete again. So um, uh, she would come back and she'd win the finals. Well, then she could get in the next one. She'd come back and she has kept winning him. Finally, she turned fourteen, and uh, I said, oh, "You can't do it anymore." Well, when she was fourteen, we did a show with her at Country Thunder. You know, we put a show together with her. And uh, what'd she sing there? Oh, what'd she sing? Yeah. Well, the one big thing, you know, uh, uh, Martina McBride had uh, broken wing. Yeah. And that's what she sang. She would miss, win most of the contests with. She even sang that on American Idol, Broken Wing. And um, I don't remember what all songs she did. Uh, let's see. But she sang country. Oh, yeah, she yeah. sang country. Yeah. Did she, did she? Did you recommend that she try out for American Idol? Did you have a hand in that at all? No, her her grandmother, her grandmother is, uh, I think, was the biggest force in her career because she, her grandmother knew how talented she was, and she, uh, she was even in the Phoenix Children's Theater mm-hmm. at one time. She took her to San Diego. The year before she won American Idol, and they didn't take her. Really? Yeah. They didn't take her. And then um, then the following year, she went back to re-audition, and the, they said, we don't know how we missed you last year, you know, because she's incredible. She's yeah, got she's one amazing. of the greatest voices. Uh, and, and she's a great performer. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. do you did you keep in touch with her during that process? I mean, did you talk to her after she won? Have you? Oh yeah, we uh, we went. You know, the American Idol. They have the night before where they have two finalists. Yeah, we were there that night, and then again the following night when they announced her when she won. 
Well, afterwards, they have a huge party at some fancy hotel over there for everybody. And so we all went over there. And, and yeah, I didn't I didn't say stay so much because her life got very busy. Sure. So much with her. But I did uh, her grandmother, you know, and her grandparents. And uh, uh, I still see them every now and then. And she last time she was in town, she called me. It was for the Super Bowl. She was uh uh, like an air representative or something, mm-hmm. and she called me and and uh, said she had, I was working at the handlebar. We had the nine piece band out there that night, and she was wanting to come by, but she didn't have time, and so she called. Him. It's it's fascinating to see what goes on if you if you're looking, because I went and saw you guys one night at Handlebar Jays in Scottsdale, Scottsdale and Shea. Yeah. Has it always been there? Oh yeah, Has it's it? always in that same spot. Yeah, it used to be like I said before. Yeah, wild bills, but it it was way out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, that Scottsdale and Shea was a dirt road. <laughs> it was. But uh, I went out there one night to watch you guys with the Herndon brothers. You were on stage with those guys, and um, Glenn Campbell's daughter was singing with you guys. Yeah, just it's amazing who just happens to show up sometimes that just decides they want to sing a little bit. Well, that's another thing. Like Ray, he's known. By so many people down in Nashville, that if they get to town, like Vince Gill yep. showed up one night, uh, Huey Lewis showed up one night and got up and sang with them, and of course um, Chris Christopherson. I, the names, the list goes on and on. Yeah, the people that will stop in there because they know Ray real real well. So let's talk. I want to go back to Waylon Jennings for a minute because of the the guy he was. When did did you know him before he was a superstar? Yes. What was that like to watch that growth? Because you said yourself, you're either going to hit the big time by the time you're 30, you're going to quit. But now you watch this guy take that path. What was that like? Well, yeah, I mean, I, we had the same manager, and that's how I got to know him. My man, our manager introduced us. And uh, when I got a record deal, they were looking for a producer. My manager talked to Waylon about it, and he just jumped at it. And I I was the only guy he produced. And, and you know, his son, Shooters, he produced a lot of people. But anyway, he, uh, watching him just get bigger and bigger and I know I know I'd go in the office and they were talking about dates that he was doing and how he was just driving the women crazy and all the things they were doing you know throwing things up on stage yeah. and, <laughs> you know it's, like it, underwear and all it, but, and it's it's amazing to when I said the Mount Rushmore of country music because it's one thing to be a star and there are many of them yeah. But there's just in, in a generation, I would say, you know, like a guy like George Strait and Garth Brooks and guys that you know that are just legendary. They're they they trans they 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 are generational. Yeah. But he was one of those guys, you know, yeah. Merle Haggard and George Jones and yeah. and Waylon Jennings, those guys, Willie Nelson. Yeah. Um, the Highwaymen, when they put that group together, were you ever did you ever see that you hang out with those guys? I didn't know. I never did get to travel with them. I, I tried with Willie and Waylon. And we did a lot of dates together, and uh, went to Sweden and Denmark and Norway together. But I didn't. Uh, I went to see them a few times when they were all performing 
doing their highwayman show. They had to be a riot to hang out with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they had to yeah. be. Yeah. That had to be some group to hang out with. Yeah. But when you're around people like that, um, at least as an observer, I look at that kind of music and I think, I wonder where that kind of talent, not just the ability to sing, but the ability to entertain and the ability to write songs that people remember forever. Yeah. Where does that come from? I think it's a God-given gift myself. I really do. Like like uh, Waylon, for, for instance, he like the song, uh, Are You Sure Hank Done It That Way? Yeah. He he was telling me about how he wrote that. He needed one more song. He was back coming back to Nashville from the road, and he was on a plane, and he said he needed one more song. And he got to the, got to thinking about, did Hank Williams do this kind? You know, yeah. And that's how that song came about. He wrote it on the plane, and then went right in the studio and recorded it. Who wrote "Lonesome Ornery and Mean"? Did he write that? I think he did. Yeah. That fits him. I mean, yeah. that, that that was classic. I, you can't yeah. think of anybody else that should have sung that song, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? So when you decided when you decided it was time that Mr. Lucky's was going to close, what, what pushed you there? Well, I'd been there for so long. And, and to be honest with you, uh, the whole demographics was changing. And I was starting to have a lot of problems uh, in the parking lot mm-hmm. with theft and that sort of thing. And there was a couple of guys that ran uh, Cooperstown down by the ballpark. Yep. They were managers there. And they could see what was happening with the area. And they came to me and they offered me a deal to sell the business. And I'd le- I would lease the property to them. And... It was such a good deal, you know, that I thought, you know, I, it's time for me to get out yeah, because of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. So that's what made me get out. And that was in uh, August of '04. I remember yeah. when I, cause I was there, you know, like I said, 95, I was getting on bulls on Saturday nights and Wednesdays. And um, I was announcing on the weekends and. The bullfighter. Remember Luke Crowley? Yeah, oh, yeah. Luke was my roommate. We were roommates. Yeah. And I remember when they took the bull riding out. Yeah. I remember driving by there and seeing the arena gone. Yeah. And that was before that you you had sold the place, but they yeah. had taken the arena out. Yeah. And I just remember just being sad and thought people are never going to believe what a iconic yeah. place this was. Well, what happened, you know, we were the very first bar in Phoenix, I don't know about Arizona, but in Phoenix, to put in a bull riding uh, arena at the bar. Right. And uh, it, I think a lot of other people saw what was happening. Like, ne- next thing you know, but the chip, they put one in. Mm-hmm. And other places started doing the same thing. And uh, people started, I, I don't know if it was, they offered more money. Or what the deal was, but it's the, it started dwindling. Yeah, the the tenants. Well, one thing the demographics didn't help any. You know, yeah. people. You know, just I'd see people that I used to. I would see all the time, and then all of a sudden they disappeared, and I'd see them out. You know, out shopping or yeah. something. Uh, I don't want to drive down in there anymore. Yeah, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I, it was just time 
uh, I and um, the uh, at the time I pulled that arena out, I didn't own the property, and the owners they wanted they they sold the property to me, and uh, I don't know. I got the feeling from them they just who me take that thing out. It wasn't doing that well anymore yeah. anyway, so I took it out. The uh, you know the guy that owns the Roadrunner, you know the bar, you know yeah. what the Roadrunner is. They have great yeah. bull riding going on there. Oh on yeah, the weekends. He used to work in the back pens at Lucky. He used yeah. to work for Ron Blades. Yeah. So he kind of got his start in that whole business. Yeah. And now look how successful he is up there. Oh yeah, yeah. So what's next? I mean, you've got you still got Jalen working with you. You're still on stage. You're still oh, yeah. singing. You're still doing dates. I see him on Facebook oh, all yeah. the time. What yeah. else? What else? What's next? I, for you? I'm just. You sure ain't slowing down. No, I'm not slowing down. I probably should. Uh, my kids keep telling me I should, but uh, I don't listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but no, I'm just going to keep performing as long as the good Lord will let me, you know, and um, just keep writing as much as I possibly can and just keep playing music. Do you ever give lessons? Have you ever given lessons? You ever taught somebody to play an instrument? No, no. I don't consider myself that good a musician to teach. Really? Yeah. Is it because you... I was going to end this. I'm not going to end it now. This... So you don't think you're good enough to teach. Is it because you taught yourself how to play? It just comes natural to you or... Uh, well, I, I've always felt like, you know, I've always heard that thing throughout my entire life about, oh, he plays by ear. You know, in other words, he's right. never been taught... And I I did teach myself, but you know I got me a book, guitar book, and started learning when I was ten years old and got my first guitar. Uh, but I've I've seen the musicians that were gifted in the first place and then were trained properly. Those are the to me. Those are the finest musicians on the planet. I don't know, man. I've seen a lot of country music, and I don't know that there's anybody that plays the fiddle better than you do. Oh, my. No, Mike. Bless your heart. Oh, there's so many people play way better really? than I do. Oh, yeah. I just remember yeah. watching you at Lucky's, and that would be, they would wait for Devil Went Down to Georgia, one of those songs where you were going to tear it up, and you tore it up. I mean, you played. Well, it took a lot of practice. <laughs> But you were so good. That surprises yeah. me that you, as much as you fostered young people getting on stage and singing, and you, you know, you wanted to get that in kids and did all that stuff on those Friday nights and and working with Jordan Sparks, that you wouldn't want to get some kids. That, well, I I don't know. I've never I've never entertained that thought of of trying to teach. But uh, you're right about uh, we did have an influence because there's I've re, I've received several letters from parents thanking me for doing that Friday night kids show because their sons or daughters went on and created their own bands and are doing very well at it. You know, not any of their major acts or anything, but at least they're doing what they love to do. You know. Yeah, and it was it was such a unique place because Friday nights when I would get there early and I'd come and eat or whatever at the fish fry, it was a genuine family atmosphere. Yeah. And then by was it nine o'clock or nine o'clock? By nine o'clock, the kids had to go. It home. was a honky tonk. It was it a was bar. A, yeah. It was, and but it made that transition 
it, it, you'd have never known that it was right. the same place, but every week the, the vibe was still what it should be for the families. Yeah. And then it was exactly what you'd expect if you walked into a country bar in the mid-90s. Yeah, right. Yeah. That was pretty cool. That was a time. I'll never forget those days. And sometimes I think, well, maybe to me it's so romantic because I wanted to be a cowboy so bad. And I learned to ride bulls in that arena. Yeah. And I learned from, you know, the best. You know, Cody Custer taught me to ride bulls. And yeah. I was terrible at it. But I had a great teacher. Yeah. And to learn that rodeo business and industry and then to learn how to announce rodeos and judge bull ridings in your arena. Yeah. I couldn't tell if maybe I loved that place so much because it had such a place for me. Yeah. But. You can't go anywhere in this town and talk to someone that's been here long enough that doesn't have a Mr. Lucky story. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and yeah. You, how, do you get to hear them? Do people come oh, up yeah, to you when they see All the time. People tell me all the time. And most of the stories, uh, people will come, like, especially now, people that haven't seen me in years and are finding out that I'm still performing, they come and see me. Of course, they've all gotten older, and and they, they'll tell me, we met there. We, we that Mr. Lucky's. You're the reason we're married. Yeah. You know, we came to see you and and met, and we've been married forty years, fifty years, whatever it was. You know. And it's funny your Facebook page because you have a Facebook page. Yeah. I've reconnected with some old friends on the Facebook page because you know you lose touch after a while, but then you'll see someone you and they'll find you or whatever, and yeah. or somebody will find out I'm on the radio now and. And I remember when you were announcing out in the arena at Mr. Yeah. Lucky's, and I thought, who'd ever thought? You know, yeah. one one story, I was, um, uh, before I was in radio, but I had been speaking. You know, I lost, I don't know if you ever met my brother, but my brother used to come with me once in a while to Lucky's, and my brother was killed in Iraq. And um, so I started speaking out, and I was asked to do some events for President Bush when he was running for re-election. One of yeah. them was at the Coliseum, and another one was the final presidential debate rally. So it was the final presidential debate at ASU, and they asked me to be the MC for the presidential uh, rally after, and it was at, then called Bank One Ballpark, now Chase Field. Yeah. And so I was the MC. There were 30,000 people there. And I'm walking past the first base dugout, and I've got a Secret Service escort with me, you know, a guy with me from Secret Service. And I hear somebody yell my name out from the crowd, and I look up, and it's two of the bartenders and a, one of the cocktail waitresses from Mr. Lucky <laughs> looking at me like, what the heck is going on? Because they remembered me from being that goofball in the arena, yeah. and here I was emceeing a thing for the president. That's awesome. Man. And a lot of that stuff started because... You guys, you and Ron Blades gave me that chance to, you know, kind of learn the business of announcing and talking to a crowd. And, you know, that I started in your arena. And here well, we see, are. See, those are my rewards. Th what you're talking about. Things happen. Really good things happen, like for yourself and like Jordan Sparks. And yeah, those have been my rewards. And, you know, remember Wayne Brooks, you know, announcing for you outside. There. Yeah. Wayne is considered. Probably oh. the number one rodeo announcer yeah. in America today. Yeah. He's one announcer of the year a few times, done the NFR. He started in your arena. Or yeah. Part of his career was in your arena. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 You've turned out some superstars, yeah. haven't you? Yeah. And, and and Hollywood was a gladiator. We had him in here. We had him in here. We oh, talked you did? about you too. Yes, we oh, talked about God. WWE and being an American oh, gladiator and all of that stuff. And I remember he would always jump up on stage when you'd let him. Yeah. And he'd sing Long Haired Country Boy. Yeah. You know, he would always sing that one. Yeah. And yeah. you would always, didn't you always used to change the words to the end of the chair by George Strait? Take your hat off? Oh, yeah. That wasn't that's, my hair after all. That wasn't my hair after all. Because I don't have any. <laughs> 
Well, listen, I appreciate you doing this. I know there's going to be a lot of people that watch this or listen to this podcast and bring back memories. And I, I hope you know how much you and that place is meant to people. I hope you're reminded of it often because it means so much to so many people. You know, I, Mike, I am. People tell me all the time how much they love the place and how much they miss it and all the wonderful times that they had there. And then I hear some stories about some crazy things that happened to some people. Yeah. But it's it's life. But people lived Mr. Lucky's, and they. Uh, I'm I'm very grateful. Are you are you regularly at um at Handlebar Jays now? No. Or you just kind of uh, jump in and out. Uh, we uh, I was for until the COVID thing happened. Race we started uh, uh, back to Lucky's yeah, night. Yeah, I remember it. Every Wednesday night, and it went for seven years, and then the COVID thing happened. And now uh, he started it back again this last January. We're there once a month with the big nine-piece band. And uh, uh, he's going to start it back up in October. So hopefully it's once a month there because I love working with those horns. You know, it's it just I just I I just like seeing you on stage. It brings back good memories for me. So well, good. I'm but glad. thanks for Thank doing you. this, man. My pleasure. It. Thanks again for asking. Truly, an icon in the state of Arizona. If you don't remember Mister Lucky's, ask somebody older. They're all going to remember the place. <laughs> but Jay David Sloan. Thank you. Discover more amazing Arizonans with Mike Broomhead at KTAR.com, the KTAR News app, or wherever you get your podcasts.